Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles. This week, I want to talk a little bit about one of those things that affects pretty much all of us at some point in time. Um, and it kind of came up this weekend. I was at uh, one of my last events for the year, sitting at the table, had somebody come over, and she started telling me about a project she's got, she's working on, and wanted to know what to do with it. And so we were having a, a pretty fun little conversation about a webcomic, and it's something I wanted to see. I'm like, great, let's see it. You know, what have you got? What can you show off? And there was that immediate moment of just abject oh, wait, somebody really wants to see this? And the answer was yes. This week, I want to talk about that little sort of thing that haunts every single one of us at some point in time. It's something that affects everyone. I mean, business owners, it affects people in our personal lives. It affects especially creatives. It's that idea of imposter syndrome. You know, it's that inner feeling of no matter what, I'm never going to be good enough or I'll never do this well enough. It's those feelings inwardly of I'm a fraud, I'm a fake. Why would anybody care to listen to me or, or see anything I'm doing? And it's one of those things that comes up all the time. I had, I can't tell you how many conversations about this particular topic I've had in the last couple of weeks. And so it seems to just sort of be in the air. So since I've been hearing it and talking about it, you're going to hear me talk about it even some more. Um, and looking at the idea of imposter syndrome, I think it is important that all of us recognize it, we acknowledge it, we understand it because imposter syndrome can be a positive thing. It can be something that is helpful to us at times. Now, the way we make that helpful for us, and it's going to be a little bit different for everyone, but it's that thing that can help keep us a little bit in check. It can help keep the ego in check. It can be one of those things to make us stop and think before we act. But the problem is, for most of us, it doesn't act like that little sort of a gut check. It acts as the brakes. It makes us just stop completely and totally. It makes us sit and try to figure out what we're going to do next. But often what it winds up doing is stops us from actually being productive, from actually expressing ourselves, from exploring ideas, from sharing those things with the world. And in one particular conversation I was having this weekend, you know, I said, the worst thing you could be dealing with is this. You share something with the world and no one says anything. And I said, the odds of that happening in, in the age of the internet are really slim. So the next big possibility is that people may like it. For people that don't, oh, well, you learn to move on and deal with those things. But when you have creative output, creative ideas, you don't ever know what they're really there for until you've shared them. That's the entire purpose, the entire point of creativity creative ideas, creative expression. And so there's a quote that always comes to me, and there's a couple of quotes I'm probably pepper in, but one of the first ones that I was told 
fairly young is the idea that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And this is from Eleanor Roosevelt. So, I mean, we know this idea of imposter syndrome is nothing new. This is part of the human condition to stop, to question ourselves, to make sure that we are really evaluating ourselves and what we want to do, what we think we can do, what we can share with the world and how safely we think we can do that. And I put that work safely in there because safety is an illusion. Safety is something that we hopefully get to feel most of the time, but safety at the end of the day is in many ways an illusion because especially if you're going to be creative, if you're going to share things with the world, there's going to be people that don't like it, don't appreciate it, or simply enjoy tearing things down because they're frustrated with their own inability to express themselves creatively. Or they feel the inability to appreciate work that's out there that's maybe not part of of their zeitgeist. And one of the biggest problems that we always have are people who enjoy and celebrate the idea of destroying things. And when we encounter those people, and you will, you have to learn to swing a band hammer with reckless abandon and move on to those people with whom you resonate. Move on to your audience. Move on to the people that find benefit out of what you're doing. And I promise that audience is out there. That audience is there for everyone. So I thought this week I'd talk a little bit and dive a little bit deeper into this idea of imposter syndrome. I think that it's worth it, everybody, to do your research about it. Um, But one of the people that would be a very helpful resource for everybody is the work of Dr. Valerie Young. And she has broken down the idea of imposter syndrome into five major types. Um, And you're probably going to find yourself suffering from multiple of these, depending on what the time is. I know that perfectly. I've, you know, I've suffered from many of these things over the years myself. Um, So the first type she describes is that of the perfectionist, that idea of, I can't expose something to the world until it's absolutely perfect. Well, perfect is an illusion. Perfect is in the eye of the beholder. We want things to be perfect and they never will be. We can always find ways to improve something, even in ways that are only perceptible to ourselves. So if you think that something has to be absolutely perfect, it becomes a fantastic excuse not to ever finish it, not to ever expose the idea to the world, not to ever give it a try. So the first thing we have to do is get past that idea of that something will ever be perfect because it will never be perfect. And it's finding that right balance and finding the point where it's not perfect, but it's ready to be tested against the world. Now, the second kind of imposter syndrome is one that I've run into many times myself. It's that being the expert. Um, You know, it's the idea of an expert can have imposter syndrome because they don't know everything about their field or a given topic or things they're going to run into. And it's really hard to define that word expert. What does it mean? I've been paid a lot of money over the years to be an expert in a lot of different fields, to consult in a lot of different fields, to work in a lot of different fields. One of the things you discover about the idea of expertise is not having all of the answers. 
expertise and mastery is much more about knowing the right questions to ask. Because if you know the questions to ask, you can always reach an answer. You can always get to an idea or you can contact that person who's the right person to try to explore that idea with. Expertise and mastery does not mean you know every single thing about a given topic or a given subject because no one does. But expertise is that ability to know what I need to ask and when and who and how I can get to that right answer. And part of the great importance of expertise is the fact that you have a unique idea and a unique view. And it's through that lens that you share your expertise, which is the reason that often there's multiple experts working on any given project is because that way you can have multiple points of view that are filtering the same core ideas, but that can drill down to get to a really beautiful or elegant solution or an idea that's explored in a multitude of ways. As a writer, there's great benefit in this, this exercise by working with other writers, collaborating, sharing ideas, and sharing your roadblocks so that you can hammer through those with other people that operate the same way you do, but have different viewpoints that will see things in your idea maybe even you don't. Now, the third one here is one that many people that are in the creative space have heard our entire lives. And it's the idea of the natural genius. And this is one that comes because you pick up so many things easily. You can go, you know, pick up a creative outlet. Maybe you pick up musical instruments very easily, very simply. But then what happens is you hit something that tests you, that challenges you. Because it doesn't come easily, all of a sudden you feel like an idiot. You feel... Um, like you're faking it because you don't, you, you found something that means you've got to work at it and you feel like that makes your entire life and being an imposter. The answer is no. When you hit those roadblocks, those are things that we should celebrate because it means we found something that is going to stretch us. We found something that is going to challenge us. We found something that is not going to come easily. So we're going to have to work for that even more to get the reward. There's great reward in hitting these kinds of challenges in life. And this is one of those things that if you are an expert or a perfectionist, these sorts of ideas of I hit that thing that is a that's a challenge for me and then fighting your way through that. You know, I'll never be a professional basketball player. I have no desire to be a professional basketball player, but I'll never be a professional basketball player but to understand the game and the strategies and things like this. There's reward in that. Even if I'll never be in an expert in something that I've hit a challenge with, just getting that understanding adds to those ways I look at the world. It adds to the ways that I may take on different parts of my work. Now, the next one here is one that I am definitively often guilty of, and that's being the soloist. Um, it's that feeling that you're an imposter if you need help. It's that idea that if you can't do it on your own, then it's something that you can't do. And this is something I've run into myself many, many times over the years. And I had to learn to get past that idea. I had to learn that often learning and experience 
comes from the act of collaboration, the act of working with others, the act of getting their viewpoints, their experience, and their knowledge. Because again, I can't develop an expertise or a skill set without seeing how other people have done it. I don't, I can't necessarily gain all the full knowledge and the full experience that comes out of that without seeing it through someone else's eyes beyond just my own. But it's one of those things that if I can't figure it out on my own, you'll have that little bit of a doubt in the back of your mind that I had to go to somebody else. Again, this is one of those things that leads you to build, leads you to collaborate, leads you to the point where you are developing other skills, those abilities to make relationships, that ability to partner and see the world through someone else's eyes. And then the last one that she describes is that of the super person, the person who has to be the hardest working person, the person who is going for the pinnacles of everything. You're going to go push yourself for the impossible. You know, if I haven't tried to climb Kilimanjaro, then I'm a fraud in all areas of my life. Or if I haven't gone and tried to do something that I have no business doing, this is again, one of those things I've been guilty of. But if you don't try and test yourself at every level, then again, you're, you feel like you're failing everywhere because you failed in one particular aspect. And to me and my own thoughts and my own, own experience, there are other things and other ways that, that, it breaks down, but I think this is a good way of kind of understanding this set. Where do you think you fall? What are the traps that lead you into these different traps? Because each one of these kinds of imposter syndrome classification is a trap in and of itself. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's one of these things that when we fall into the trap of imposter syndrome, it can have really drastic effects for us. Um, it can make us question our work. It can make us question our value. It can really tear down your mental health, your mental well-being. You know, those feelings of self-doubt and self-worth, you ultimately will move to the point where you are committing self-sabotaging acts. You're doing those things that will lead to that self-fulfilling prophecy of failure. Because if you fail, that feels comfortable. That feels safe. It's the act of success and being successful that is often the hardest part for us to face that challenge in imposter syndrome because we always have that feeling of, I could have done more. I could have done better. I could have achieved more. I'll tell you, this is something I frequently run into myself is that idea that, you know, you're not living up to everyone else's expectations. You know, when we have to face all, all of these kinds of problems, all these kinds of challenges, the, the impacts that these things can have on us in our personal lives, our professional lives, our family lives, our creative lives, they can really hurt us and hurt those who are around us pretty significant. And, you know, sometimes this means it can harm our families. It can harm our reputation at work. Maybe what it even means is that we stop being creative. We stop 
being productive. We stop exploring the world around us. We stop taking advantage of the life we get to live to explore these ideas. And it's one of those things that we have to learn to face if you're ever going to find that degree of success, that degree of satisfaction. It's not that we should reach a certain point and feel, okay, I'm done. I'm comfortable here. For some people, that's fun. But when we look at imposter syndrome, often what it's doing is it's telling us that that place to stop, that's fine, because that that's fine means we're not taking any more risks. We're not expressing ourselves more. We're not pushing that next limit. And this is one of the big challenges of imposter syndrome. You know, what causes all of this? Well, number one, a lot of it comes from how we were raised, the family we were around, the friends, the school environments, the way we came up. I mean, because one of the things in, in I, I've written about many times over the years, you know, I've got it. It's in the Business Essentials for Writers book. It's in a bunch of the other books and things I've written over the years is facing the crowd pot. And the crab pot is that thing where when you're trying to climb out of the crab pot, all the other crabs are trying to hold you, hold you down. They're trying to pull you back. And really the reason that the crab pot runs that way is it's not because they don't want you to escape if they can't get out. Because honestly, if you look at almost any crab pot, if you've ever seen one, all the crabs pretty much could get out if they work together or just work for their own goals. But it's that fear that somebody might escape or might accomplish something that they wanted to do themselves or because they didn't face their own fears, their own challenges. They never tried to escape the crab pot and they don't want to see anybody else do it either. And it's all out of fear. Well, all of this tends to boil down and be the root cause of a lot of our fears, our doubts, and our imposter syndromes is because that thing that's in the back of our mind, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a sibling, um, maybe it's, you know, distant relatives or just friends you were raised around that going and saying, oh, well, you suck. You can't do that. That voice that gets in your head often is not yours. It's the voices of the people that you were around as you were raised, or maybe it's the voices of the people that you're around now. And, you know, when we look at this, there's a lot of you can argue causes or you can argue the effects of this, but we can feel very unable to be successful or define success. We can use that perfectionist angle. We can look at any number of ways that just stop us from doing things because honestly, it's easier to stop than it is to keep going forward. It's easier to decide I'm going to go sit down in my chair and watch the world continue to move than it is to get up and help move the world. When we look at imposter syndrome, when we look at the way that it can hold us back, affect us, much of this is all telling us that our viewpoint on the world doesn't matter. Well, the truth of it is, 
everyone has a unique set of experiences, a unique viewpoint on the world, a unique way to look at everything. And I've talked about this frequently over the years, probably ad nauseum. Well, if we talk about all of this and we, we look at this, this is one of the things that leads to a lot of the neuroticism we see. I think that when we look at social media, when we look at quote unquote influencers, when we look at these people that are out there showing off a fake face to the world, the way that they're trying to combat imposter syndrome is by putting something out there that isn't the real them, that isn't the genuine them. Now, everything with social media is to some extent fake, right? Because we all show only the part of ourselves that we want to show. But if you're trying to beat imposter syndrome by creating a persona you share with the world that looks much bigger than you really are, all that really does ultimately is amplify some of those feelings of inadequacy and self-doubt because if you don't reach what you put out there and showed to the world was your ideal, well, when people find that out, you'll again face all those you know cries of fraud or fakery and things like this. It's hard enough to express yourself to the world and share things with the world. You know, the, the levels of anxiety that are growing amongst everyone, right? If we look at everything that's happening in the world right now, if we look at the time of year we're going into, anxiety is ratcheted up pretty much for everyone. We're looking and questioning. We're wondering what tomorrow is going to hold, next week, next month, next year. There's a lot of risk in life. There's a lot of opportunity as well. And one of the biggest impacts that I have seen out of friends, family, and myself is when we don't manage our imposter syndrome it creates a lot of anxiety within ourselves. It creates that voice in the back of your mind that's screaming at you, that voice that really isn't yours, but you think it is, that voice that you think is trying to protect you, that it is thinking it's acting in your best interests. Well, in truth, it's not. It's crying in the back because it is part of that fight or flight response. If we look, there's really a third part, which is freeze. Imposter syndrome often causes us to freeze. We stop that deer in a headlight situation. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. All we know is we see this big shining light all of a sudden coming at us. And we don't know to get out of its way. Well, these are the things that imposter syndrome can do to us. And if I look at all the things with imposter syndrome, the easiest way to help manage it is to understand your core beliefs, understand who you are, and understand why that voice is coming to you, shouting at you, pushing at you from the back of your mind. You know, what do you believe about yourself, right? I mean, going and reading handy little affirmations to yourself can help, but they're they're only going to carry you so far. That's not a miracle cure. That's something that can create motivation. 
So do you, what are the beliefs you have about yourself, your own value, your own self-worth, your own self-love? If you, if you can't love yourself and trust yourself, you can't expect that of others and you can't give it to others either. So you have to understand and dig deep to figure out what are those things about yourself that you don't love, you don't like, you don't trust. And getting past those ideas and then understanding that you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. No one is perfect. Once we recognize that, once we acknowledge that, it's much easier to make our way in the world. So how do we deal with imposter syndrome, right? How do we, how can we do more to manage it? Well, some of this is going to depend on who you are, what works for you. What kind of support network do you have? But the easiest way to face imposter syndrome comes from talking to others. It comes from doing. It comes from taking action. You know, one of the things that I learned at a young age, my dad taught me was expertise is what you have five minutes after you needed it. When you screw up, is the best way to learn because it's not that you're not going to make mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, then you're probably not trying hard enough. It's more a matter of when you make the mistakes, did you learn from it? Did you figure out what went awry? And did you incorporate that lesson so that when you do something the next time you get to make a different mistake? Imposter syndrome also is one of those things in the background that says, when we look at the perfectionist, you can't be seen as making a mistake. In truth, what it should be is when you make the mistakes, you own them, you learn from them, and you grow from them. So getting past imposter syndrome means being willing to be out there, to be in the world, to be doing things, to be speaking things, to be socializing, to be helping others. You know, one of the things that I am a firm believer in is that idea of having a life of service. And if you're in business and if you're a creator trying to make money, you have a business. We live in a life of service to others. Some of that service may be passing on knowledge and expertise and skills. Some of that knowledge and expertise we're passing on may come in the form of books or artwork or other creative output that brings joy, that brings knowledge, that brings experience to the people that see it, feel it, touch it, get that, get that sensation from it. And so if we can do that and have that focus on the other people we're trying to serve is one of the first and easiest ways, well, not easiest, but at least one of the first and most effective ways the combat imposter syndrome is by recognizing that other people see the value in what you do. And so do you. And, you know, when we're, when we're looking at things, we're trying to decide, what am I going to do? What am I going to try to do? How am I going to live this life, life of service? Be honest about your skill sets, your abilities, your knowledge, and recognize where you have real strengths, recognize where you have, opportunities to learn and to grow because we all have them and spend time 
learning and growing in those spaces that you want to, where you want to have that knowledge and value. You can't learn everything. You can't experience everything. There's just not enough time for it. But we can learn and experience a tremendous amount. And that's the purpose of this life. Small steps, move the goal steps, you know, move the goalposts, going through those things. And as you start to do more and more of this, as you become more self-reflective and are honest about this, you, you cut the lies that we tell ourselves. You try to cut down on the self-sabotaging behaviors of stopping yourself. You stop comparing yourself to others. The only person we're ever competing against is ourselves. And if we build networks and friends and people that we can share this, this experience with, friends and family, the more that they become supportive of that, the more we recognize and find that value. And again, we get to combat that voice in the back of our mind. And we get to replace the voice in the back of our mind that says, don't do that, with one that says, hey, what do you know? Let's, let's go try and push that limit a little bit harder. Um, you know, but even in all of this, you have to remember the emotions that are stirring, the things that are that emotional soup, that hormonal soup that is triggering so much of this in response to that little voice in the back of your mind, that thing that comes, that started from childhood, the thing that says, what should you try? What should you do? What would you, you know, don't cross the road here you know, look both ways. Well, that's where imposter syndrome comes comes in. Do I stop and look up and down the street before I cross it? Or do I just run across the road to get hit? Or do I just let that stop me and I turn around and go? These things are all the things that that voice of imposter syndrome will do is it will cause us not to take that step because we think there's a risk and we think that there's not that growth and reward on the other side. The main thing is this. Imposter syndrome can be really difficult to face a real major challenge. It can be one of these things that stops us from expressing ourselves and being a genius, finding that thing that we were put on this world to share with everyone. Is everyone going to love it? No. Is everyone going to like it? No. But if we create it and we present it to the people it was meant for, they will find benefit and you'll find the recognition and the acknowledgement of the value of your work. This is how we get past imposter syndrome is sometimes you just got to lower your head, take the hit, and move the ball forward. And, you know, a couple of things that I'll throw out there is, in the world of social media, in, in the world of business, in the world of creativity, one of the hardest challenges we run into is that we know that social media is just a part of the game. It's something we have to do. It's something we have to deal with. And with that knowledge in mind, with that idea in mind, limit and manage your social media, throttle it, 
was talking to a friend this weekend who was talking about the fact that with their social media platform and presence, they don't get all the garbage. They don't get all the negativity because they curate it. They throttle it. They manage it. I have a large social media presence in certain ways. There's a a lot of there's a lot of people out there that we have this idea, we have that voice in the back of our mind, and social media can be the thing that either lifts up and amplifies it if it's a positive thing, or maybe it lifts it up and it amplifies that negative thought running back through the back of our minds. So be cautious with social media. Be open and honest with your friends and family. Create that circle of people that will help you grow and that you're helping them grow. Because again, this is not just about you. This is about us. This is about the greater family. This is about the greater circle of people we're around is to make sure that we're all doing, we're all developing, we're all growing. So until next week, this has been Creating Pros, and this has been a little bit of an exploration of imposter syndrome. Know that we all face it, we all do it, we all deal with it, and I want everybody to find that small step you're going to take this week to help you move forward.